All right, everyone, welcome back to this episode of the Cutlass Podcast. Today, I wanted to take some time to go over one of the situations or areas that I get a lot of questions on or I see a lot of people asking about, whether it's on Facebook or posts that will ask for feedback. It's in the leading up direction, and it gets into this concept of how to professionally disagree or quote-unquote push back with your supervisor um, or boss or organization when uh, you have something to offer or you have something to agree with or disagree with. So there's going to be times when you disagree with a supervisor's decision or you have to have an issue perhaps with their personal or professional behavior that you're going to have to give feedback. And I'll talk about that from my perspective as a command mass chief. But it takes courage to address these situations, but you can't avoid them because this watch team backup is important. It needs to be done or you can have some severe impacts to team morale or readiness can occur and I want to talk with a guest of mine. Uh, we've written and podcasted together. Uh, U.S. Coast Guard Chief Petty Officer Phil Knoll. He's a native of Charleston, West Virginia. He joined the Coast Guard in 2007. He's an accomplished operator and has served across the range of search and rescue, law enforcement, and disaster response missions. He's been stationed pretty much all over the place, from Miami to Virginia to Ohio. And he's currently serving as the lead underway instructor at the U.S. Coast Guard's Boston Mate A School in Yorktown, Virginia. He has a bachelor's degree in emergency and disaster management from American Military University, and he writes extensively and has been published in a variety of magazines and journals, including Naval Institute's Proceedings Magazine. He was the second place winner in the U.S. Naval Institute's U.S. Coast Guard Essay Contest in 2018, and I recently found out that he's been second place winner in this year, 2020, Enlisted Prize Essay Contest as well. And he's also the creator and co-host of the They Had to Go Out podcast. So welcome, Phil, again. Thanks for taking time to join me. How's everything going? Hey, thanks, Paul. It's uh, it's great to be back with you. And uh, I'm surviving COVID, civil unrest, and, and everything else our country is going through right now. I hope you are, too. Yeah, doing good so far. Keeping busy. It's starting to open up a little bit. So uh, that's enticing. Yeah, right. At least we can sit down at a restaurant again. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and then I, you know, we've talked, but... Uh, I hear you got selected for uh, pretty good orders to another command. Where are you going to here soon? I did. I'm going uh, going as far north as one can go on the eastern seaboard up to uh, up the main uh, station up in Jonesport that's right on the uh, U.S.-Canadian border. Awesome. And uh, what's the billet you're going to fill? It's uh, executive petty officer, so the, the number two job up there. Awesome. So congratulations on that. So Thank you. All right. So thanks for taking some time. Um, you, you and I have talked about this. We're writing some stuff together. You know, this concept of professional agreement and pushing back is something that definitely in military organizations, uh, it's imposing, it's intimidating, but it has to be done. So let's start out the conversation with, I'll throw over to you and ask you, um, from a couple perspectives, right? As you know, go back to being a junior, I'll call you Coasty. I'll go back to being a junior petty officer, but this applies across organizations and it translates up. Why is it so imposing to approach your boss and provide them some kind of negative feedback or performance feedback? You know, I think uh, most obvious answer is probably, especially when you're new, you realize that you don't know everything, right? And you you just have that, uh, you don't want to look like an idiot when you open your mouth. And I think that happens pretty often. Uh, but we're trying to, uh, at least in the Coast Guard, I, I feel like we're trying to include more people in the decision-making process through risk management. And I, kn I know the Navy uses a lot of that too. If you see something, say something. Uh, there are no no bad call-outs, basically. If, if you see something that doesn't look right, raise your voice and, and let people know. Beyond that, I think uh, in particular, if it's something that's kind of institutionalized and you're seeing it all the time, you know, nobody wants to rock the boat. 
I feel like in general, there's uh, could be consequences to duty schedule, relationships within the command, or even your career. And really, if you push back, it can generate all three outcomes potentially. You got to play a little politics, I think, on how you you approach these issues and how you approach your tactics and pushing back, particularly against a senior. Absolutely. And there's professional hazards. I think that's the biggest one I think is, you know, I always uh, like to say everything. Usually if I trace everything back, it goes back to economics, right? So your personal impacts can get uh, affected. You're probably worried about either maintaining a job you've got or your credibility and your influence in a job you've got or your ability to promote. Clearly your boss or supervisor definitely has, you know, inputs to evaluations and recommendations for next duty assignments and things like that. So, and not every leader, you know, sets a tone that's welcoming of this kind of feedback. Very true. And I I always say, you know, I think most people will agree, uh, you know, especially senior enlisted and it's kind of a common phrase is everybody gets one, but sir in general. Right. Yep. Um, and after that one, but sir, particularly at the junior level, sometimes you do have to just swallow your pride and, and take it. I mean, you join the military service and, and there's a, there's a chain of command for a reason. And if that's the direction we're going, uh, sometimes after the, but sir, it's better to just get on board and, and carry on, especially at the time, right? Later on, there could be other times when you can, you can push back in other ways, particularly at the time. I think you gotta, you kind of have to adhere to that one, but sir, yeah, I'm with you. And we'll talk a little bit through that as a, uh, at least the way I've framed out some of the advice I've gotten. The, uh, so let's the, start with the first thing I would offer is when you're thinking about pushing back, you really got to be prepared, right? You got to understand, I think, what's bothering you and why. Do you really have a legitimate concern or do you just simply disagree because you think, uh, you would do things a different way? You know, you got to consider, are my biases kicking in? Uh, perhaps I'm being influenced or pressured by another person or perspective. Yeah. So I think, you know, what you have to remember at the, at the end of the day is why are you doing it? Are you doing it to, to get ahead personally, or are you doing it because of a, a greater need to improve the service that we provide the public? You know, the I, kind of a thing that I usually go with when I, when I try to counsel people is that uh, you should view service as a privilege, right? And it's a finite one. You don't have a lot of time to serve. 20 years goes by in a blink of an eye. And in that time, if you see ways that could improve what we're doing, you have a responsibility to communicate them up. But that said, it's, it's got to be done for the right reasons. People will support you if you do it for the right reasons. If you start doing it for the wrong reasons, then that's where you, you kind of run into conflicts. Yeah. And uh, it's easier, I think, when it's dealing with process or procedure or an evolution that you've definitely got a new perspective or, you know, you're actually actively involved in as a, a junior person with how the thing's playing out. What gets harder with the why is, hey, maybe you don't uh, agree with the delivery of your supervisor or boss. And maybe that impact is having negative effects on the team. And we'll talk a little bit about, I think, uh, how you can approach that. So I guess I could back it up and say, you know, you could go through the you know, the questioning phase, the first thing I would recommend is like, just go with the who, what, where, when, why kind of questioning. So we just covered the why. When would you address something like this? If you had a supervisor and, uh, and some, say it's an evolution and you see something that could be changed. What's, what, how does the when kick in for you? I'll throw out a C story because your, your audience is probably more junior. So this is from a time when I was pretty early in my career, E4 probably running boats underway got a call of, of a bass boat on Lake Erie that went out on a, on a pretty rough day and never came back. We proceed on the boat to the last known position, get on scene, don't find it. 
reported in that we don't find it. It initiates this huge surge, C-130s on the Great Lakes, which never happens. Wow. Uh, HH-65 helicopters, and everybody's looking for these people. It's turned into a media circus in you know the span of the time we left the dock until we arrived on scene. As soon as the the helos get there in the the fixed wing, they uh, they locate the boat. We respond to the the boat's position. It's swamped, right? So it's like covered in water. There's nobody on board. We commence a, another search there, and pretty quickly we find the body of of one of the people on board, or one of the people that was on board. And recover recover her from the water. Report that to the station. They tell me where to go. So we start pulling into this marina. Well, the the media had gotten so interested in this case the marina was was just there was too much visibility to go in there with the body on the back deck of the boat okay and we didn't have a body bag we didn't have anything to kind of preserve the dignity of the of the deceased so they diverted us to another marina which is fine i understood the decision as we're transiting there and these marinas aren't close to each other these are probably 10 miles from each other which is kind of a hull on a 25 foot boat and four or five foot seas with 30 knots of wind almost get to this marina and they divert us again I don't know why. So I, you know, I just kind of swallowed the, swallow my pride, go, go to this next marina, even though it's another 10 miles away. And Get then, another call and they try to divert us again. And this time I'm like, Hey, this, this has got to be it, right? Like we've got this deceased on the back of the boat. The crew that I'm with is already kind of, they're pretty fed up with the decision making above us because at the end of the day, the outcome is going to be the same, right? We're going to bring the deceased into shore and transfer her to whoever's going to take the body. But I keep getting pushback from from on high. Nope, you shall go to this next marina. And the weather's still deteriorating the whole time. It's just, it's not a good situation for those on board, right? No one feels well. It's a crappy day out there. And we have a dead body on board that we couldn't do anything to save. And then I feel like we're kind of like detracting from the dignity of the deceased as as we're moving between marinas. Okay. So I end up coming up alongside the state agency that, that's going to accept the custody of the body anyway once we arrive at shore. And I kind of make the, the command decision like, hey, we're just going to we're gonna transfer to you, right? And we do an at-sea transfer, and I report it in. The first thing I get uh, from the, the command center back on shore is a really loud, really angry, negative, 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 you were told to do this. And uh, I'm like, well, too late. The decision's already been made, already done. Right. Can't go back on it now. So finally pull into the dock. The command meets me at the at the dock and I just get the, you know, the worst tongue lashing of my life. Right. And I think uh, at the end of the day, there wasn't much they could do about it because the decision had already been made. So right. I think it what it ingrained in me was that at the end of the day, if you're the guy on scene, right, if you're the one that's responsible for making those decisions because people and lives are under you, sometimes you just have to make a decision. Because if someone's offsite and above you and is making decisions that maybe you don't agree with, but you're the one that has to deal with the outcome, sometimes it's better to just seek forgiveness than ask permission. And that's what I did in that case. So I would just offer that to people as a way to sometimes have their decision, especially in the real time heard. Uh, there may may still be consequences, but at the end of the day, if it's the right thing to do, sometimes that's, that's just what you have to do okay. if you're empowered to make that decision. Yeah, in nuclear power program, we talked about this concept of watch team backup. And I think in some communities where you deal with uh, what would be called high cost of outcome, right, where, hey, if things go bad, they go really bad. So in nuclear power, 
you know, you can melt down reactor cores, release fission products to the environment, Chernobyl kind of stuff or Fukushima kind of stuff, really bad, right? To a large people, large group of people, air aviation industries like this, right? So yeah, you, you crash an airplane, uh, that's bad stuff, right? So where there's high cost of outcome, they really value this kind of watch team backup. And anyone can provide input into it, right? So during operations, it's been my experience that, hey, if you're at, you know, there's definitely, it should be known uh, if you're during a briefing process, if you're in the middle of a high risk or a high, you know, consequence operation, it should be known that you have an obligation or responsibility to speak up right then, right? So the real timing matters for that, that kind of situation. There may be times when you- right, pre- and, and, and- I think in this case, right, the the good thing is I knew for a fact that the outcome was going to be the same. Yes. At the end of the day, this this deceased person was going to be transferred to the state agency that would assume custody of the body, right? The biggest problem they couldn't figure out on shore was where do you take the body where there's not high media interest? Well, I just removed all that from the situation, right? So there wasn't – no lives were at risk necessarily or anything, but it was more of a – if you already know what the outcome is going to be, I don't think there's a problem sometimes making that decision. To, you know, while you're while you're on scene. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yep. And then another thing I learned. So, uh, you know, this matters. Like I said, as as you move up, right? This, you know, you move up into the executive or the strategic level leadership, right? You still have to, you know, c- certain positions still have to go to their boss, perhaps with unpopular news, perhaps pushing back against that opinion or that that's longstanding as is belief system. Um, so I found myself, you know, you know, most of the things I was advising on on policy or procedure typically weren't time sensitive. So I had time to really think through it. So one thing I would do is the when is I would tee up an email to my boss or supervisor and kind of lay out the whole, Hey, here's kind of what I'm thinking. Here's the current thing. Um, present my facts, present my feedback and then give my boss time to marinate on that for a while before I came up and presented it to him. So that gets to the. You know, the when is, is important, right? You never want to get, I, I don't think if, if you can avoid it, putting your boss in a position to where they feel immediately on the defensive, right? So this is kind of like the when and where when you feed, you provide feedback. What's your thoughts on that or your experiences with that? Or, so, go ahead. so I've got a recent one for this one. This is, this is kind of funny. Another C story time. I had a, I'm a chief and uh, this is pretty, again, this is pretty recent. And a first class that I really respect and that's had a lot of great ideas came up with a uh, came up with an idea that was related to first aid, right? How how he wanted to solve this problem that we had with uh, people not donning PPE, yeah, before that you know like their gloves and the mask and stuff before okay. they recovered someone from the water. Uh, so he came to me with this idea. I heard him out because I you know I I always want to hear guys out when they come up with ideas because I know it takes some courage anyway just to come up and say anything right yep and you never know where that next great idea is going to come from this idea in particular I didn't agree with and I told him why and told him I appreciated bringing it to me and then I talked about some of the bigger problems that I would appreciate his help addressing right that didn't relate that were kind of related to this issue but not specifically as targeted as he got and I was like, come back when you have something on one of these topics, right? And we'll, we'll push that through. Well, uh, <laughs> he decided instead to, uh, to shoot an email to the team that kind of has responsibility for this, this whole program level thing. Okay. And laid out his idea again. Well, what he didn't realize is the team actually consulted me asking me like, Hey, what do you think about this? 
And I was like, well, I, I've heard that before. <laughs> it, you yeah. know, it's kind of funny that I've heard this before. So it, it just, it goes to show people are connected, right? Everyone's connected in these organizations. So he, he and I had to have another discussion about, Hey, there, there was a reason that I said no. And it wasn't because I don't like you or, or anything like that. It's just now wasn't the time to tackle your idea and there are better ways to do it. So we needed to go this other route than the way you went. He wouldn't know that because of his position, right? Yep. I only knew it because of my position. So sometimes you're going to get a no. And I think a lot of times those no's are very valid, right? You can't, you can't take every no as a wall. Um, and as supervisors, especially, I think you've got to give people an avenue to, uh, if they did come up with maybe an idea that's unworkable, give them some other program that they can help out with, right? Yep. Some other, something else. So uh, that's a problem that we ran into. I think that's something that everybody's got to realize. That's something that I've had to realize myself is that in the military, we're all connected. If somebody tells you no, it, it may end up being a hard no, right? Because yep. that person may be responsible for the entire program and you just didn't realize. Right. And I think the, the important part of this too is um, for the more junior person to realize is, um, it's not that you're not being heard, but consider this an opportunity to learn, right? So this is, you're trying to really, when you give this feedback, if it's perhaps it's not on, you know, your supervisor's personal performance, but it's on process or policy, you got to understand they're, they're in a decision making position. They have authorities to make decisions and a responsibility f- and, and they're accountable for the outcome. So even though you're providing an input, don't take it personally. If they give you a no, it's an opportunity for you to learn and an opportunity for the supervisor to kind of train your relief. Yeah, and I would give it to one more caveat maybe to that whole discussion is that uh, sometimes I, I think we all know if you spend any time in the military that that rank doesn't always equate competence and leadership ability. I, I think we yeah. all kind of realize that at some point. Yep. Um, so sometimes you do get a no and you know, that's not the right answer. Uh, there are, there are other methods to, you know, get your idea heard, but if you're going to take it that route, particularly if you're going to jump chain of command, you better have the support, the background and have addressed all the arguments that are going to counter yours before you, uh, before you raise that issue you know, beyond your, uh, the super, beyond the hard no that you got. Yep. So I think for the, uh, the win of the timeliness too is, you know, during the briefing process, if it's an evolution and you're familiar with this in the world you grew up in, so am I, it's got to be clear there. I, I think that already establishes an environment of, Hey, who can speak up? Here's the stopping points. Who can make this decision kind of thing. So if you communicate that, that's for the supervisor kind of perspective is when you're doing these briefs and these evolutions and you want your team to provide that immediate feedback on the decision making process or the evolution, you've got to brief that upfront. For sure. Same with debriefs. I think, uh, you know, sometimes you, you can have that crewman with the big, uh, the big shit eating grin on their face, right? Because they, they braised the idea. It was, it was turned down for whatever reason. And then, at the outcome of the evolution, it's more like, man, maybe we should have, maybe he, we should have went with that because that we ended up doing anyway and it worked. Yep. Um, I've had that happen a lot. So yeah, it's a briefing, debriefing in the heat of the moment. I think there's uh, so many different opportunities to make, you know, make those calls. But if you can get in on the ground level, any project, that's really where the biggest decisions are made. Yeah. Once the ball starts rolling, particularly in the military, you're, the ball's rolling. Right. Like you, you just got to get on board at that point because they're always going to give something a go before they go back and change it, at least in my experience. So if you have opportunities to get in on those work groups or, 
you know, whatever teams are, are kind of leading the way, leading the charge for some new program or revision to a program, that's time to raise your hand and say, hey, I'll I'll take the hit. I'd love to be on it. Yep. So the when and where is critical, right? You you want to really think about that. Uh, there's probably a piece of this. So Phil, have you ever been in that position where your peers are kind of, they know you're the mo- more vocal person. So they have this champion and they'll start to egg you on to push back and perhaps you feel that pressure and you do it at the inappropriate time. Yeah. So I've been called an idea guy, which I've, I've been told it's not a good thing uh, usually, <laughs> but uh, I think it's a good thing. It, it, I guess what happens is if you do push back, right. And you're successful and you're pushed back and, and whatever direction that you wanted to go is the one that ends up being decided on. You do feel a little bit more empowered as you go forward to, to offer more suggestions, right. Yeah. From, from your own experience, from your own opinion. Um, I think that's probably where you need to be most careful. I've seen a lot of guys with really great ideas, myself included. And then sometimes I'll, you know, something will come into my head and maybe I'll say it. And then I start thinking about it later and eh, it probably wasn't the best, best approach to go with. So it's, it's just important to research it, get the background, hear the counter argument, take other people's input before you start you know, rocking the boat. Serving as a fleet mass chief. I mean, I had a, I was in some heavy decision-making meetings and, you know, all my bosses enabled me to chime in when I needed to, but just because I had the opportunity at the time didn't mean that meeting was necessarily the time or place, right? You never want that idea to come off just because I heard something. I wouldn't want to come off as my thoughts were just beginning to formulate. I didn't want to come off half-baked. So I, you know, I knew when over time, when I need to say something right then or when I need to reapproach it in a different way. And like I said, I found that writing my thoughts down, hey, you know, hey boss, just came out of this meeting. Here's some thoughts. Here's some recommendations. Here's some things that that didn't come up. Cause usually those meetings at that higher level of governance weren't timely. Um, those decisions weren't time critical. So I had time to do that. And I definitely didn't want to ever feel like I want to put anyone on that team on the defensive with my idea. Cause then all you do is you risk becoming alienated from the group and your influence is lost. Right. And that's one of those times too, when the, uh, the group's making decisions. And I, I'm sure you've seen it, and especially in your position as a, as a CMC is just the, the group think, right? The one yep. guy that normally has the good ideas throws, throws an idea out there. And in the heat of the moment, we all agree with it. Well, then we come back to the, with all our notes and start compiling minutes from the meeting or, or some kind of outcome, recommended courses of action. You start thinking about, well, maybe, maybe that wasn't a good idea. Maybe I shouldn't have agreed with that. Yeah. Uh, I've seen that happen a lot too. Yeah. And uh, so to flip it now, so I'll flip it to uh, not just the person providing the feedback, but the person, if you're a boss or a supervisor and you put out that, hey, I'm open to feedback or, hey, you know, all your ideas are welcome here. You better mean that, right? Because I've seen it. You probably have too. I've seen where, you know, you'll have senior level people that say that at a meeting. They create this environment supposedly that it's open to feedback um, or critical thinking, right? Or pushback. And then someone says something and bam, the, their demeanor changes. They take it personally. They scowl and they maybe push back bad. And all you do is all those other people are watching, right? So you spook right. the herd and then you just completely shut down feedback at that level. Have you seen that? For sure. And I, the worst kind of boss to have are the ones that say that they're open to feedback, but really only want to generate support for their own ideas, yes. right? Yep. And they don't communicate it that way. I have no problem because especially as you get more senior in the organization, you become an organizational person, right? You want the organization to succeed. You want the service to succeed, your unit, the nation. 
Uh, so anything that that happens, that's what you're always kind of geared toward, right? I want everything to succeed. Well, if if a supervisor is telling you, "Hey, I'm I'm open to ideas. I'd love to get your input," but then the only idea they ever talk about is their own, and they just try to garner support for it. Yeah, it doesn't go over very well with anyone. I'm with you. Uh, so I'd caution everybody against that. Just if you say you're open to input, be open to it. If you're not open to input for whatever reason, maybe that's the direction that you got from on high. Communicate that too, and people will find a way to support you in general, right? If you if you say, hey, this is the way we're going to go, there's still a lot of avenues for change and to, to put your own personal stamp on things as it moves forward. But you need to be upfront and clear about how you're going to proceed. Okay. So we talked the why, we talked the what. I think we've talked the when and the where you should push back. So this sounds simple, but the who matters, right? So there are going to be times when, especially now we're getting into when you need to come back and you see your boss or supervisor doing unethical, illegal, unsafe kind of things, right? You may not want to directly talk with that person specifically, right? So what's your thoughts on the who? Who do you address it on and what makes you decide who you're going to take this pushback or this feedback with? Well, I would say if you're in a supervisory role, right, and one of your subordinates is doing anything, you need to get comfortable with the uncomfortable if you are not already. You need to be the direct person that's having those conversations. Um, if you're a subordinate and the supervisor's doing it, it's a, it's a kind of a two-way street, right? It depends on the person. It depends on who you're going to approach. But at the end of the day, you can't go wrong with calling somebody out. Yeah, if you take the problem directly to the, you know, to the person responsible, it, it really can't hurt calling them out. If that happens and they don't take it well, if they don't take that whole conversation well, command master chiefs exist for a reason. You know, communicate the conversation, the behavior that you saw or observed, you know, what you did to address it, and then kind of the outcome of that conversation, put the ball in their court. I think that's usually the best way to handle those kind of things. Give the person opportunity to, to, you know, be receptive to whatever you said. If they're not and it continues, report it up. And this is where I think you seek advice from people too. Like, hey, I saw so-and-so do this. I want to address it head on. This is that, I mean, we talk about core values on the Navy side, honor, courage, and commitment. This is where that really kicks in, right? Do you have the courage, right? Courage just isn't physical courage. It's moral courage to stand up and and talk about when you see a supervisor doing something wrong. And ultimately, you know, if you attack this in a preventive way, you could stop some behavior and save their career. So it's usually in their best interest and it's in the best interest of the organization, but it shows your commitment and it's definitely honorable. And then if you need to, there are usually some kind of formal grievance procedures that you can lean on uh, if you find that that one-on-one conversation with your boss isn't working or if you're getting threats of reprisal. Have you seen that experience before? Yeah, I mean, I think a great example is the sexual assault prevention and response program uh, that the Coast Guard's put on. And I, I think there, you know, there are no bystanders, right? If you if you are not intervening in behavior that's that's either threatening or you know could create a victim, then you are just as culpable as as the person that's you know responsible for the assault. So, I think that's a message that's taken taken hold in the Coast Guard. It's something that I've seen as I've come up, uh, particularly with, you know, drinking culture yeah. and just calling out people like, hey, you know, no matter how senior they are, I think you've had too much. We need to we need to step away from the bar. Yep. Um, I think that's a, a simple one. And it's one that we we all encounter at some point. Yep. And it has to be almost practice, right? You got to think about these things or at least model those through your in your mind or 
you know, maybe role play that um, with other people. Like these situations, you don't want to just roll into them and it's the first time you've even thought about it. If it's a time critical thing, it's a brief and you need to give feedback to stop an evolution. I think usually those hurdles are already cleared in the brief and it's okay. This gets more into pushing back or giving watch team backup for professional failures or personal failures of your supervisor and boss. And I think uh, we could do a lot better job across the civilian military divide if the news has anything to provide on the ethical failures of leadership. Right. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's one of those things too, when you, when you do step out and you do start looking for advice uh, from elsewhere, right? I think we, we have a duty to peers and our coworkers too, to actually talk to people. I, it, and it is uncomfortable and it's not fun. And, you know, when you see something that's not, uh, that's not right and, and somebody needs to be addressed, I, I get it. I, I think nobody really wants to have those difficult conversations. But honestly, that's what that's what the core values demand, right, is that you have those kind of conversations and you give the person the opportunity to, to correct. Because if you were doing it, you would want the same, I think. Uh, you know, once it once it goes south and somebody's not receptive to it, that's when it's that when it may be time to, to take it up yep. um, or it's especially, you know, like any especially bad or something. Obviously, you got to report violations of the UCMJ, but, you know, just general conduct that's not not within the core values, give the person an opportunity to self-correct, you know, go talk to them, tell them that you saw it, you know, you needed to change. Yep. And perhaps one, you know, one approach is, um, once again, getting back to evaluated, you know, what it is, maybe you bounce off, Hey, I'm seeing this, you know, in no uncertain terms, you have to name out your boss as you're thinking through this, but you know, this is where you typically say that, Hey, I have a friend who, or, you know, I know of someone who's going through something. And as you seek advice, what's your advice to them approaching this? But uh, once you make the decision, definitely this is one you want to get some one-on-one time um, to nail with them and, and call it out. So, all right, let's move on to the last one would be the how. So, you know, and this kind of ties into what we are, right? And I, I just wrote down, you know, be respectful and professional, right? So like it or not, tact is a key social skill when leading up. And frankly, I'll tell you, we talked about leading up with boss or supervisor, but this really all this conversation applies to to peers too, leading across, right? So as as you know, Phil and you and I have served in the cheese mess. These same kind of things when approaching a peer in the cheese mess could come out as well. But you gotta mind your tone, right? So as a command mass chief, you know, some were thinking like, Oh, you can just go up there and jump up and down on the CO's or the commander's desk and get things done. <laughs> That's not how it works, right? You come right. in with the wrong approach, and if you're disrespectful or you're getting a little, you know, what we'd say big for your britches when I grew up, um, you're you're starting to lose some of that humility of like, I'm confronting my boss. This is the person with the authority and the decision making. You can quickly find yourself with the situation flipped, right? And you're going to be in receive mode. So what's your advice on the how when you get in these situations? You know, I think the best advice I can give you is the same advice that I gave the uh, the first class that I just talked about with the uh, the first aid idea. If you're gonna if you're gonna go out and die on the field of battle, make sure it's a battle that's worth fighting. Sometimes you will. Uh, I, I've seen people, you know, just adhere to whatever their opinion is on an issue. They would legitimately die on a field alone over this issue. When at the end of the day, maybe it's not even that big. You yeah. know, it's not that big of a concern to, to everyone else. Sometimes you have to just swallow your pride and and move forward. So that that's an important part of the how. You know, if you're if you're getting no's at every corner. You know, the idea is just kind of dead. Yes. It, it may be at sometimes times to just abandon the idea and move on. Yep. Uh, don't, don't be that guy that dies out there alone. Okay. Um, you don't want to be sick or cynical. You don't want to come across derogatory. You want to stick with presenting facts, present the potential or actual impacts of the decision or of the person's personal behavior. 
suggest feedback they've been you've been hearing from other people like hey boss i've been hearing and other people are seeing and you're kind of gaining a reputation as this or that that's that's a good tactic you can use right and then providing recommendations right you know once again the way you approach this in a non you know it it is conflict it is having a difficult conversation but if you can remove the emotional component and de-escalate it'll protect you from being portrayed as an instigator and actually help that feedback get through yeah, I think all those are all those are huge, especially for peers. Like you said, when you're when you're going to go talk to a peer, you know these are these are people that you're going to have to work alongside going yep. forward, right? So don't uh, don't backstab. I think that was one of the you know kind of when you talk about tone and, and you talk about who you've talked to beforehand. That's why I'm always very uh, very vocal proponent of being upfront and direct about what's going on. Right, go in, approach it professionally, even if it is a peer. And you'll, you're probably going to have a better outcome yep. than if you, uh, you know, just talk behind someone's back and, and keep uh, you know, making a much bigger issue without giving them an opportunity to, to change their behavior. Yep. And from the influence theory model, right, it would be, you know, you want to stick with rational persuasion tactics or inspirational type appeals when you're trying to influence up. Only in probably in extreme cases when they're not taking that on board or the one-on-one feedback, would you have to consider using what I would call pressure tactics such as the threat of an IG complaint to address unethical, unsafe, or those immoral decisions, which could ultimately lead to uh, like a negative organizational outcome or unsafe kind of thing. So if you find yourself in this position, again, before moving ahead, seek the counsel and support from other peers and leaders and resources you may have. So, all right, Phil, real quick. And, and I would say ahead. too, Paul, like import, important to know those processes too, right? When yes. you go into those conversations, if you, if you think it's not going to be taken well, right? Go in with with that, and not as a threat, but just as a fact. This is the fact is if if it doesn't change, I'm going to be forced to make a complaint. Yes, uh, uh, and I think that's huge. Yeah, and the and the ability to go in and use pressure right shows that you have the willingness and ability to impose cost. And many people do have that ability to do that on their boss, but once again, if you misapply that you know, you are in a bad spot, right? So and we've seen those that's, stories. That's You've seen that stuff on TV where people go too quick to the threat using these kind of tools when they're not really substantiated or not appropriate for that situation. So once again, talk to other people and think about it. That's, you know, you may be thinking you're going to impose costs on someone in a good way, but you'll end up just receiving cost because you misapplied that tool or that tactic. So let's, uh, let's always, take, always do your research. Absolutely. Let's take it up to higher level. So uh, every day we each influence something within our sphere of influence, but there's going to be times and places where way up in the organization, you want to influence policy and process, You've written, I've written, I just think of writing and there's other ways to influence stuff outside your daily sphere. So what's, uh, what's your advice to the audience on that? I love writing. If, uh, if anybody out there, you know, has trouble writing, I, I think it's something that you need to practice. It's something that you can, that maybe the best way to get better at is just to read more. But when you're able to write, you're able to communicate with, with far more people than you ever will with your voice. Um, so if you can put your ideas down, make them intelligent, make them uh, read well, and maybe even throw a little drama in there, yeah. um, it, it's a good chance that, that your idea is going to go far in this world. So that's what I've noticed about writing. And yeah, so I mean, I, there, there is certainly a dare factor to it because I, everything that I've written about was an, involved decisions being made far beyond my pay grade, right? At the highest levels of the organization. Yeah. And uh, to even have the idea... I won't even say considered, but but even reviewed, right? Even read about um, by the uh, by service leadership is is a huge privilege. I think that 
the feedback that you're going to get is not always positive. Uh, you know, I've been told, well, I should be embarrassed for what I've wrote or uh, that I should, um, I've been approached by some senior people, you know, saying like, don't ever write again. Right. But the, the service continues to put out, you know, luckily uh, all coasts and, and different messaging that says, Hey, we encourage everyone to, to write for uh, the Naval Institute. So I, I keep doing it. Yeah. And if, if those, those are opportunities that you have to look for, that's an opportunity for you to influence the wider organization or, or, you know, whatever topic's important to you, if you're being encouraged to do it, seize the opportunity. That's your time. Get out there and do it. And beyond that, I mean, just in definite organization or specific organizations, there's opportunity to just provide point papers and other things through the word of writing. I see people using social media channels now and other ways that they can uh, influence the discussion, as we would say. Um, last thoughts on this topic, any kind of resources you would suggest or uh, articles, podcasts, that kind of stuff? I think one of the best stories to research out there is the uh, the history of the Naval Institute, to be honest, okay. um, with John L. Warden and how, how the Institute came to be because they were – completely redefining naval ships and naval warfare what what a cool history of the organization and how they uh these ideas are came to pass right so so we could have this venue in this forum for people to people to talk it's one of the most one of the more inspiring stories that that kind of inspires me to write awesome all right so today we've really discussed hopefully we've given uh, you some things to think about for pushing back as a frontline leader or a middle manager and at some point having to professionally disagree, right? Um, we've offered some kind of things, but you should think through uh, what we've talked about, talk to your peers, talk to other people. And frankly, the point of reflection here is to think through that situation. If I had to professionally disagree with my current supervisor, would I be in a position where I was prepared to do it? And would I have the courage and be willing to do it uh, to make a better uh, positive difference in my organization? So, all right, my guest today has been Chief Petty Officer on the Coast Guard side, Phil Null. Phil, thanks for joining me and thanks for your insights. Hey, thanks, Paul. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Cutlass Podcast. If you want to learn more about the topic we discussed today or in any, any other episode, you can check out the Chief Petty Officer's Guide and other you know other resources. I'll link the article that Phil mentioned uh, in the episode description. If you want to provide me feedback or suggest topics for future episodes, please send me a note at cutlassleadership at gmail.com. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe, like us, uh, give me some comments, share it so you can help me get the content out and about to your peers so they can learn as well. I'm Paul Kingsbury. I want you to work hard to keep your leadership cutlass sharp. Reflect and improve and take what you learn and become a sturdy, versatile, incredible leader who makes a positive difference.